If you're a guest here this morning, welcome again. It's good to have you here. And um, we're going to invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles or in the Bible in front of you, if, if you haven't done so already, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and uh, just partake with us of God's Word. So, so I got to start by telling you that this past week, it almost brought me to tears uh, seeing a dentist at work. And it wasn't because I was sitting in the chair um, or him working in my mouth. It was, um, I was moved to tears because as I was watching this, this dentist at work in his office working on my youngest son, he got it. Now, I don't mean he got it like he's got good skills, even though he does. And I don't mean he got it by, um, has a nice office or great staff. He, he had that too. But he got it. He got 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, which is what we're going to be studying this morning in perspective. In perspective, as he did his dentistry, um, God was revealing to me a brother who understood that his work wasn't for him, and it was to build God's kingdom. So um, this morning, as we, as we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I want to ask this question, and maybe this is a question that you can, that you can hold um, in your mind and just have it simmer. As we, as we read what, what Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. But this is the question. As people who have been founded and established in Jesus Christ and are looking to see him again in his second coming, how should that affect our view of work? How should that, these truths, as we were talking last week, our positional sitting or standing in what Christ has done for us, affect how we labor? Because the answer to this question will affect the attitude that you and I go to work tomorrow with. It will affect the work ethic we display. It will affect the quality of our work what our hands will produce, and it will also affect those around us who are encountering the quality of our work and the attitude of our working. So just a quick recap as we're uh, entering into, into verse 9. Um, chapter 4, chapter 4 so far is Paul saying, uh, because of these truths, these indicatives, of who you are in Christ and His work in you, now there's some imperatives. Now there's some fleshing out of, of this working of Christ in you. And in verse 1, he gives us basically this, this anchoring point of how we are to live out our lives. Uh, not only in how we love one another um, and on how God uses our love for one another, and others in the community to actually grow us in sanctification and to becoming more like Jesus. 
He also talks about um, how, out of verse 1, um, this is going to help us abstain from sexual immorality. Uh, so we're not going to look to please ourselves. We're going to look to what he mentions in verse 1. And then lastly, today we'll talk about work. But what is it that he mentions in verse 1? And what he mentions in verse 1 is how our focus in our Christian walk is to be pleasing to God. How we are to live lives that bring joy to God. See, Paul in these verses, especially in the verses of 9 through 12, is speaking of how, as we have our aim to please God, how should that affect our work? Yes, it's going to affect how we love one another and those around us, how we abstain from sexual immorality and seek to live in purity. But seeking to please God is going to affect how we work. So Paul here is writing to, again, a response to Timothy's report, apparently of some believers who in Thessalonica had, had grown idle. In other words, they, they had a job, but they just weren't wanting to work. So Paul here in these verses is not addressing unemployment. Unemployment is people that, that want to work, but are unable to work. Here he's speaking to idleness, people who have work to go to and they're just choosing not to work. And apparently this issue of idleness was, was starting to become a, a, an issue that was permeating the rest of the body and, and burdening the rest of the body to the point where in chapter 5, the next chapter, verse 14, he says, um, warn those who are idle. He makes a very specific statement there. Apparently, these idle believers were working either because they had weren't working because either they had mistakenly thought that the promise of the eternal hope of Jesus Christ, of Him returning, really led them to earthly abandonment or living a life of patronage, as was still culturally customary and back then. So. They were starting to become a burden. And so whatever the case, it was with these idlers, Paul was saying, we need to address this issue because the gospel affects every facet of our lives, even our labor. So I think this is a timely word for us because of two reasons. I think if, if, if we were to take a step back and just, and just look at ourselves through the words that we just read up on the on the. Um, on the screen or that are in front of us, I think, I think we would see two truths. One, that we ourselves can have a tendency to either working ourselves to death or idleness. We tend to drift towards these two. We never perfectly walk the line of being the perfect worker. We tend to drift towards these two. And um, it, it's interesting because when we work ourselves to death, we become restless in our work. We, we, we seek from work uh, purpose, identity, 
um, safety and security, um, that which can bring meaning into our lives. And before we know it, we become enslaved to work. Or we can drift towards idleness. We really are truthful with ourselves. We, we become lazy and inactive and, and we think we're finding rest in idleness. When really what we begin as we dig further into that perceived rest is, is really an experience of unrest. And, and then we start getting agitated. And then frustrated and we start complaining and bickering. Because we're not walking as God has designed us to walk with our work. So that's, that's the first reason. But I think the second reason is this one. is because unless we understand God's perspective of work, which is what we're going to be looking at this morning in these verses, get this, we will never find true rest and joy in our work. We just won't. So let's read these verses again. And um, let's let God speak to us. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. That indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So Paul here this morning is laying out for us some very practical guidance on work. And really at the core, or the main idea if you're taking notes this morning, is this, really simple. As Christians, we are to aim to please God with our work. That's it. As Christians, we are to aim to please God with our work. So how do we do this? So he lays that out for us. And I want us to go back to verse 1. Because the first way we do this is by working not for work, nor for ourselves, nor for anyone else, but for the glory of God. We work for the glory of God. Paul tells these words to the Thessalonians. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing that you do so. What's that? What's that so? Well, to walk in a manner that's pleasing to God and that you do it more and more. You see, Paul's teaching on work in verses 9 through 12 are grammatically hinged towards this verse. They're holding on to verse 1. So they're not completely separate, even though he starts to speak about love and work. They're hinging on verse 1. And verse 1 is spearheading this attitude of what should be our work ethic. 
Paul's saying, Thessalonians, this is to be the central focus of your perspective on work. Use your work, in other words, to please God. To give glory to Him. That He might take joy in what you do. Now the Thessalonians needed to hear this. Why? Because let's, let's recall where they're coming from. Okay? They're, they're, they're not born in a Christian home. Okay, there, many of them are, are, are coming out of one, a culture that says, listen, <laughs> your God ain't God. Caesar is what? Is Lord. Okay? Uh, Thessalonica was the capital of the Roman province of uh, Macedonia. So, uh, you know, you, you, if, if you're going to give allegiance or tribute to someone, give it to Caesar. Not only that, but many of them who are Gentiles are coming out of temple worship, false god worship. And for some of the Thessalonians, their trade was closely linked to idol worship. So Paul is saying here, listen, you got to have a new perspective when it comes to work. And that perspective, that new normal, has to be to aim to please God. First and foremost. The word pleasing, in the Greek is aresko. Aresko, which means to strive to bring pleasure to, or to, check this out, accommodate oneself to God's opinion, desires, and His interests. So this morning, as you're thinking of work, as we're processing what we do for work, is what I do bringing pleasure and lining up, accommodating to bringing God glory? To bringing Him joy. This is the same term, actually, that Paul uses to describe the goal of his ministry in Galatians 5.1. He says this, as he's writing to, to the believers in Galatia, he says, for I am now seeking, for I am now seeking, the, I'm sorry, he's posing a question. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. Those are some powerful words. In other words, it is impossible to seek to give glory in our work to man and at the same time synonymously live for the glory of God in our work. To please God means ultimately having Him as our focus, working for his delight, his interest, his glory, and not our own. So one might ask, maybe here you're asking, so is there a difference between pleasing God and appeasing God? Jeremy, when we were um, when we were worshiping together, and as he was leading us here earlier, um, he made a comment basically saying, you know, it was, it was something of the effect of we, 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 we work not to get the favor of God, 
but we work because we have his favor. Now that's, that's key because there's a difference between pleasing and appeasing. Paul was not encouraging the Thessalonians to work so that they could receive favor from God as they often thought of the way they used to work, how their work was entangled with idol worship. He's saying, listen, there's a new normal. Paul was not encouraging the Thessalonians to work so that they could receive favor from God or be in right standing with God, but because they already had received the right standing through Christ with God. So they were working not to obtain favor from God or a blessing from God or protection from God. They were working for God because they had already received all that in Christ. And Paul's saying, you have that. By faith, work. <laughs> work by faith. Now this this affects tremendously how we work. I mean, this, this even digs back into verse 13 of chapter 3. Because in chapter 3, verse 13, in, in Paul's prayer, he's saying, look, God is working. God, God is working to, to ground you and to establish your hearts as blameless and holy unto himself through Christ. And so we see a God who's at work. And so how can we not work in response back to him? This is a tremendous motivation to work, to bring glory to God because he's done all this for us in Christ. The impetus to work for God's glory derives out of a heart that's positionally secure and fulfilled not in work, but in Christ. And thereby, when we work, we radiate an energetic thankfulness and joy in our work because of who we're grounded in. Church, today many of us, you know, we go about our work looking to appease God. And we don't even know it sometimes. I mean, that's how much we need the Holy Spirit. But sometimes we, we work, don't we, to, to hear from God? Lord, I'm, 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 I'm going to work hard at reading your word, and I'm going to work hard at, at, at praying, and I'm going to work hard, you know, when I go from my 9 to 5 job or my, nit, my, my uh, midnight shift job to, so that you can help me and then watch over my family and God is saying, appropriate what you already have. My relationship with you wasn't contractual. Why do you feel like now it needs to be? Or we go to work and we study frenetically to feel good about ourselves in order to prove our worth, to impress people, whether it be our, our boss or, or our co-workers to appease our parents. Church, there's no freedom in that. Friend, that's enslaving. 
when we work for the sheer pleasure of pleasing God out of what he has done for us in Christ, that liberates us. And because he's working in our lives and not only brought justification to us, a sense of right standing before him and, 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 and the work of his spirit in sanctification, we're, we're now able to work freely, not bound up by being defined by work, but by his work in us. So this is what Paul is making sure is at the head of that spear. As he's speaking specifically to the idol in the church, listen, you, you can work, but it's because of the gospel. It's because of what Christ has done for you. Work. And work for his glory. So the first way we aim to please God with our work is by working for the glory of God. But then he gives us a second, a second way. And he says, do this by working with your hands. Working with your hands. Uh, Paul tells the Thessalonians in verse 11, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Again, this is Paul's response to Timothy's report. There were some believers at the church who, who were being idle in the work. They, they had work, but they were just choosing to say, you know what, I, I don't need to work. And some commentators have said it, it, it's, it's because, again, they were looking for the return of Christ, which could be any minute, and so they had abandoned their responsibilities, or some of them had had just taken on this, this, this career of patronage, of really relying on patronizing the wealthy in the church and the wealthy, in a way, kind of taking care of them as long as they, they gifted them with their words. Bossy, that's not real work. You need to put an honest day work because these brothers or sisters were becoming a financial burden to the church. And not only a financial burden, but they were staining the name of Christ in the community. Did you know that the way that we do our work has a witness to Christ? So Paul tells them, listen, aspire to live quietly. Aspire to live quietly. Uh, now here... It, uh, Paul, Paul uses two words, okay? Aspire and quietly to live. I mean, you know, what, what, what is Paul getting to here? Well, the word aspire means to make your ambition, to be zealous about something, to strive with eagerness, okay? But to live quietly, it doesn't mean be silent. It doesn't mean do not speak or Hush, hush, you're in the library now. <laughs> That's not what Paul is, 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 is saying they need, to, they need to work like. But what Paul is saying here is aspire to live quietly. In other words, aspire to work, but having a sense of restfulness. In other words, chill, relax. You're not a machine. (laughs) 
as you have your focus, God's glory, rest in your identity and in your position in Christ. And don't seek to name, don't seek to make a name for yourself. Don't, 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 don't seek to, to make all this noise so that you can draw attention to yourself and just rest and aspire to work. And then he also says, mind your own affairs. I think we can easily translate that. Um, don't be going off on everybody else's business. <laughs> it's like, just mind your own business, Paul is saying. Why? Because think about it. When we become idle in our work, don't we just start wandering around? <laughs> we start knocking on people's doors like, hey, so how you doing? It's 11, it's 11 12 o'clock at night, and you're working? Now let's just chat. Paul's saying that that's what idleness would do. It'll make you disruptive. Just mind your own business. Mind your own affairs and aspire to work with your hands. Aspire to work with your hands. See, Paul wasn't just dealing with the behavior of idleness. He was dealing with the idea of how can I disciple these young believers to work as God would work? And in other words, how can I reshape their thinking of work? Because Paul wasn't just concerned about their behavior and the witness of their behavior. He had to help the believers reshape how they saw work according to the gospel. And the Greeks believed that work for the most part was something that was beneath them. As a matter of fact, not only was work degrading, but it was unspiritual. Because again, remember, Gnosticism. Work is matter. When you work with your hands, you're touching matter. So you want to stay away from that in order to be as spiritual as possible. And so for the Greeks, well, they believed that work was degrading and something that was unspiritual. That any work that needed to be done with their hands, they needed to give it to slaves. And that's why the Greeks had so many slaves. Well, Paul's saying, listen, I know you may not be a, uh, a scholar. I know you may not be into philosophy, which are, 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 are the works, quote unquote, that was that were seen as, as admirable in the culture. But you're a child of God. You are now His. And no work is degrading. None. Paul, in 1 Thessalonians 2.9, he reminds them how he worked with his hands as a tent maker so that he might not be a burden to them. Jesus as the Savior. He was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. And God, he dug holes. He tilled the ground and planted trees in creation. God worked with his hands as he just spoke the word. God is the creator and he loves to put his hands in matter and create. Therefore, do the same, Paul's saying, and do it well. Work hard. 
reflect the Lord rather than the culture. William Temple, bishop in England, wrote a good work um, in this piece, Christianity in the Social Order. He writes these words. Just look at the Bible. Creation, consummation, incarnation, resurrection. Okay? Creation, consummation, incarnation, resurrection. What do they all have in common? Well, God with his hands is with his hands in dirt in creation. God is personally creating. We see in consummation, God is cleaning up and building a great city. In the incarnation, God becomes physical. And in the resurrection, he redeems the physical. I think this can really shed a lot of light into how not only we see work, but how we're encouraged to work. Our approach to work, our enthusiasm to work. Why? Because when you and I begin to work harder with our hands, church, we're reflecting our Creator. You and I are reflecting our Creator, and not only reflecting our Creator, we are working and going about basically functioning the way He's designed us. That's what Adam was doing when he was in the garden before sin entered the world. Um, in the book, From the Garden to the City by John Dyer, uh, The Redeeming and Corrupting Power of Technology is a great book. If you love electronics, if you're into technology, this is a definite book you got to read. Okay, But I'm going to go ahead and read a paragraph from this book because I think John Dyer does a good job in expanding this idea for us. He says, God's image bearer wasn't meant to live in an arid wasteland, and so before God does anything with Adam, he first plants the Garden of Eden and fills it with tall trees, ripe fruit, and flowing rivers. Once the garden is prepared, God gently sets Adam down within and gives him a simple job. Cultivate it and keep it. Genesis 2.15 The air has flying things that fly. The sea has swimming things that swim. And now finally, the Adama, which is the Hebrew word for ground, has Adam to cultivate it. If the fish were pro programmed to swim and the birds were programmed to fly, then humans were created to cultivate the garden. In other words, we were cultivated, we, we, we were created to cultivate the world. We reflect our Creator when we work. But did you also know that when we work with our hands, we're being used by God, as the Reformers would say, to bring order out of chaos. We're bringing order out of the chaos that sin has brought into our world through us. Meaning, our work is valuable. Part of subduing the earth 
and everything we touch can be made sacred for God. In another words, there is no work that is not sacred if it's being done for the glory of God and for the flourishing of people. So the way that we wash dishes, <laughs> we're bringing order out of disorder is a way to worship God. The way you and I mow a lawn, hopefully now the temperatures will keep getting warmer, <laughs> can be done for the glory of God. The way you go to your office tomorrow and fill out an Excel sheet can be done for the glory of God. The way you and I study can be done for the glory of God. The way that you program a system for networking, you're creating, you're cultivating, you can do that for the glory of God. When we work with our hands, when we do these things, everything we do with our hands, we're fulfilling the cultural mandate, church. Restoring order as we cultivate. But thirdly, we work hard with our hands. We exercise the talents and giftings God has given us for his glory and for the good of others. What passions and burdens do you have? Those, those, those didn't land on you by coincidence. I mean, even, even our hardwiring, our personalities, our talents, our giftings, those are all gifts of grace giving to us. So you're here sitting this morning and saying, you know, I'm a little quirky. I'm like, I don't know if God is going to be able to use me to do. Listen, you're a gift. Not only you, the way you're wired, but you're a gift to your community. You're a gift to the church. The way we are wired with our talents, our gifts, our passions, these are all meant to bring, check this out, satisfaction and joy in our work only when we do these for the glory of God. So as Christians, we can please God with our work. When we bring glory to God with our work. When we work with our hands. But thirdly, by working to help others flourish. And that's the third point. By working to help others flourish. Verse 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers through Macedonia. I love this because what Paul is telling them here is you know about love because God has taught you. He's taught it to you. It has flourished you. As you've experienced the saving work of Jesus Christ, the gospel, his life, death, and resurrection, and you have the Holy Spirit within you as, as a believer, this is God at work teaching you how to love. 
But not only is he teaching you how to love as he has justified and sanctified you, but did you know that this section right here, grammatically speaking, is not separate? In other words, verses 9 through 10 are not about love. And verses 11 through 12 are not about work. Verses 9 and 10 are joined together. And in other words, work and love go together. They're, they're hand in hand. What Paul is telling them is this. The way you work is a reflection of God working in your life. But as you reflect that in your work, you're loving others. So friend, brother, sister, if you're struggling this morning with idleness, one, I would remind you, how is God faithfully working in your heart? He will not abandon the work of his hands. But two, how is God propelling you to love others through your work? For work and loving others are linked. Unless we are working, we're not loving, is what Paul's saying. Because working is the way to love. How do you love? We get to work. Don't just consume and, 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 and generate and, and, um, just don't drain the body. Bless it. Bless it. Be a producer. Create. Bless those around you. Paul alluded to the same principle of working and loving in Ephesians 4.28 when he says, this is one of the things that the gospel does in you. And he tells the believers at Ephesus, it's going to impact even how you work. In 4.28, he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Church, God here is reminding us that the gospel doesn't just stop the thief from stealing. The gospel moves the thief from not only not stealing, but to also becoming a contributor and a producer, one that flourishes others. They become contributors. How can the work that we do serve as a tool to flourish those in need? God has placed many of you in very specific positions. He has gifted you with talents, whether it be to, to clean well and to sweep well, or whether it be to lead a company well, or to make an incision well. He, he's given you the education. He's given you the means. How can you use that to flourish the body and those in need? And then how can the work we do bless materially those specifically in the body rather than drain it? Maybe this morning for you, you're, 
you're finding yourself in a position where you're saying, man, I've, I've become a drain financially to the body or, 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 or to my family or, 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 or to my friends in Christ. God is saying that's not where you were meant to be. As a matter of fact, you're not experiencing the fullness and the pleasure of the cross when you're not contributing. There is a blessing when we work. But then lastly, we aim to please God with our work by working for the glory of God, working with our hands for the better of others. But lastly, we aim to please God with our work by working to make inroads for the gospel. By working to make inroads for the gospel. And we see that in this last verse, verse 12. Okay? So that you might walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Paul's saying, as you think of work and how you can bring glory to God, and how God has wired you, impassioned you uh, to, 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 to do work for Him and for others. Your work is going to serve as a witness to the gospel. The way you go about working will point others to Christ. Maybe you've heard this before. But did you know that our lives are open books? And did you know that sometimes the only Bible that some people will read will be us. Will be us, church. Will be you. So how, how do you and I as we are ambassadors and missionaries where God has placed us at, can become salt and light and reflectors of the king. A king who is redeeming all, who is a better Adam, who, where we failed in fulfilling the cultural mandate we can now fulfill it through Christ because He is already redeeming all things to Himself. So He's giving you a platform. What platform is that? Maybe it's the platform of a restaurant. As you wait on people, those will be your divine appointments that He brings your way. Or maybe it's the platform of a uh, team meeting that you have to hold once a week to make sure that you are guiding people well. That'll be your platform and your divine appointments to be salt and light and to point your team to Christ. Not only through your words, but through your work ethic. Or maybe again, it's the way you're going to cut that incision, that divine appointment of, 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 of that person that God has placed right in front of you or care as a nurse for that individual, and you're going to seek to reveal and show the love of Christ, that same love that He shows you day in and day out by His abundant mercies. You'll be a servant to them.
church, we've tasted the goodness and the loving kindness of God in the gospel. And we've been given the opportunity to work. Work whether we get paid or not. We have been given the gift to cultivate, to create, and to fall in line with how God is already working. Will you point to Christ? And will you find rest in your labor? For He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I, I will give you that rest. Lord Jesus, can you help us to be everyday Christians whose faith shows in the way we work for you and love others this next week. In our Savior's name and Redeemer and King, amen.